0: So, I'm here with Alfie of Alfie Cameras, none other than Alfie of Alfie Cameras, and we are out in Guildford on the beta test day for the new camera. How are you doing, Alfie? Good. Uh, Quite a nice day for it, and it doesn't look like it's still weighing later, but it's nice and sunny. It is, isn't it? I'm thoroughly enjoying myself and really enjoying playing with the cameras. What's your favourite thing the new camera does? That's a bit of a hard question to answer. I really like all the different lens options, and I think maybe all the different things you can do with it, like modes, all the different shutter speeds, all the, yeah, and all the lenses combined together. It's brilliant. That's excellent. I love all that stuff too. Okay, one last trick question for you. How clever is your dad? Very clever. (laughs) Hi everybody, and welcome to the Sunny Sixteen podcast. Uh, my name is Aid. I think this is going to be show three hundred and one. And with me today, I have my very always glamorous co-host Claire. How you doing, Claire? Hey, Adrian. I'm really good. Thank you. Yeah, it is three hundred and one, of course. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we just <laughs> had so. Was. And, and uh, due, due to a very good reasons, so a slightly shorter show this week than last week. Three hundred. was think. Topped in at two
1: and a half hours or so I think. Two two hours 40 I think. We had a
0: lot to celebrate for having done 300 (laughs) shows Uh, and today we're going completely the opposite because you've got something quite important happening this evening.
1: Yes I'm um, excited because it's the Mercury Awards today for the best um, album Um, and of course Gwen has been nominated and uh, so I'm crossing my fingers for her and I did the photographic artwork for her album so (laughs) I uh, would like to be watching the Mercury's.
0: <laughs> yeah, because your because your artwork is going to be on prime time television, isn't it? This <laughs> evening, As we... that's it. Oh, you got all shy. You shouldn't be shy. You should be proud. So this is. So what channel is it on then for people? Who can... It's
1: BBC Four or on iPlayer.
0: Okay so by the time this yeah. goes out of course it won't be people able we'll to know. watch it live yeah. anymore but they can yeah. see it on the iPlayer no doubt That's right. Um just search yeah. for the Mercury Awards and yeah. uh, get to see Claire's work on primetime telly which yeah. is fantastic. And it's, and
1: it's it's a really great album as well so you can oh, get yeah, that it off too. Yeah. Heavenly <laughs> Records no seriously it's really good. <laughs>
0: so, I have to yeah. say possibly because I know you I'm more excited about your artwork than I am about the record but that's <laughs> yeah lot. but the record yeah the record yeah. Is, I'm sure the record is lovely. Um, cool, well I tell you, you what, well, let's just dive in then um, because we have a very special guest uh, with us this evening um, and uh, somebody I've had the privilege to hang out with recently a couple of times and uh, very excited to be able to talk to him at this point in his journey um, We Our special guest today is Dave Faulkner from Alfie Cameras Hey Dave, how are you? I'm great. Hi,
2: Adrian. Hi, Claire. Lovely to Hi, meet Dave. you both.
0: And <laughs> see you again, Adrian. Yeah. Yeah, well, good to see you too, mate. It's um thank and thank you for agreeing to come on, on the show. It's uh thank you for taking the time out in I guess what is a really busy time for you.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? You kind of you think right, getting getting to the Kickstarter launch and and now the hard work begins. Every time I get to a milestone, um someone who's done it before says and now the hard work starts.
1: <laughs> so,
2: there's kind of a little community of people who've been there and done this Kickstarter journey themselves. And you you pick them up along your journey and, and get them to help you out. And they're all saying now, now it gets really difficult. <laughs>
0: It, I can imagine because well, I mean, okay, let but let's take a take a deep breath and let's celebrate, right? Because your Kickstarter finished yesterday, I think, or was it the day before yeah, yesterday?
2: Yesterday morning at about quarter to ten in the morning, I think it was.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so it finished that it finished yesterday, and if I calculate right, you're approximately a hundred and seventy percent funded.
2: Yeah, I think that's about right. That's yeah.
0: amazing,
2: so, which is really good, really exciting to get to that point and i would always always pitched it at, i needed the the funds for 100% funded would allow me to build 100 cameras so it's great we we're over 100 cameras we're going to be able to build in a in a significant quantity to uh hopefully keep it sustainable and and move the product forward which is really exciting
0: for us. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, so, yeah, because I think uh, it said the other thing, because I've, I've been looking at the Kickstarter page, so it says 139 backers. So I imagine most of those have backed you for a camera, yeah? It was quite an interesting
2: um, Kickstarter. So there's a, there's a few websites where you can kind of watch the stats and see see what happens. So we had um, an initial flurry that got us over the the. Backing in, in I think the first three or four days, I can't remember exactly what point we got backed, <clears throat> and then things slowed down gradually over the next week or two, and then we kind of had a, a weird twilight where I had mm-hmm. sort of people decide, oh, actually, maybe it's not for me, and and some and other people come in, you know, all great. It was still gradually positive, but it was quite. Um, I call it uh, an emotional roller coaster, and, uh, and uh, I feel a bit of Kickstarter fatigue because every time someone decided it wasn't for them, I'd take it to my heart. I'd be like, "Oh, yeah. no, what have I done wrong?" And then, and then you'd have someone, you know, another couple of people back, and someone give you a, a little message of support, and you'd be like, "No, it's great. It's still <laughs> we're all we're all excited still." So um, that has been really fun, and I I honestly think the the kind of state of the economy has had an impact on, yeah. on people's enthusiasm. Because I did have, uh, in the kind of last week, I had some people who were messaging me saying, I'm having to pull out because I I just can't um, support it at the moment, but I really wish you every success. And so I had even people sort of dropping their backing down a little bit because that Just financially at the moment, I think everyone's struggling.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely. completely
2: understand that. No one needs to get into financial difficulty for my camera, <laughs>
0: <laughs> apart from you, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope with the with the level of funding you've secured, uh, that then it it seems to me, you know, if you've if you've done your numbers, and I'm sure you have, then you're you're in a a healthy position to to bring this out, you know, to to fruition uh, this uh, this project, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think um, we we've got a good financial position to get um, the batch made, and more importantly, yeah, you know, there are some components where yeah you know, we have to buy far more than we've been backed. So that you know, getting that extra bit of funding enables us to do that without um, dipping too far into savings and, and kind of um, yeah, you know, we're, we're trying to build a company. So I, I think it's fair to say for the first batch, it's not going to be uh, profitable for me. Um, but that's not what I'm about. I'm trying to build a business and get the brand out there. So, so once we're into, you know, the second batch of cameras, Mm. they have the potential then to start bringing in meaningful revenue for the business.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that that's interesting. So yeah, this is it's not a one shot. Um, uh, it's it's not even a seventy-two shots, is it? But <laughs> if you'll excuse the joke, um, but it's uh okay. So that that's a really interesting point of view. Uh, you and I haven't really had that conversation before. But the build building a business, building a, a financially viable, sustainable business, is 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 a bit is a big difference from just doing a you know one batch and you're done. So uh, this, uh, yeah, so 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 we, if you're you're going to be ordering you know a thousand shutters rather than just the the hundred shutters, then are you and things like that?
2: that it's things like that, yeah. I think um, the biggest outlay is the the lenses on the premium camera, and um and you know I've got to I've got to look at ordering at least double what I've been backed with there to make the, mm. the numbers stack up. So so it, it's yeah, and exactly shutters. You know the last thing I want to do is order. Exactly the number of shutters I need, and then struggle to get them in the future. So I have to yeah. I have to order planning for the future.
0: Yeah. So so let's talk about the lens. Actually, it's one thing I wanted to talk about because um, yeah, we the you have up to four lenses on an Alpha Titch. You have a pinhole, a pinsole sieve, uh, uh, an f/8 plastic lens harvested from a disposable camera, and the the jewel in the crown, as it were, uh, the pur- purpose designed f8 glass lens and even that's been through design iterations during the kickstarter hasn't it so t- tell us tell us the story of the lens
2: yeah so I, I started talking with um jason lane in the u.s uh back in the summer about wanting to put something something more premium in the camera to to really yeah, you know, really what i wanted in the camera was not just to have the option of the really creative lenses but to have if i really wanted to achieve Uh, a a crisp quality on an image that there was that option there rather than it all being about creative um, and and sort of very specific looks. There was an option to get a real crisp look. And um, and so he suggested a few ideas um, that were uh, based around a lot of um, kind of vintage lenses. But once you start putting the modern um modern glass behind them and modern coatings, you kind of give them a new lease of life. So initially he started talking about um what's called a periscopic lens, which is where you pair two meniscus lenses together with an aperture in between them. And the the sort of the the pairing cancels out the the chromatic aberrations that caused by the first one get cancelled out by the, oh, okay. the second one that's paired with it, if you do your calculations right. So um initially we we specced that type of lens for the Kickstarter campaign. And then we would continue our communications and and working out the samples we would need um, during the campaign. And and Jason got concerned that there wouldn't be a a big enough difference between what the meniscus lens was achieving and what the premium lens could do. Um, So he started working on a, a refinement on that. And it's a similar concept, but by... Um, creating a doublet which is where you have not just a meniscus lens but you then have a a further lens um, paired with that and then you have a pair of those to cancel out so you have two four piece four glass elements um that each one is bonded together so in the in the each pairing they're bonded together and that's what makes your doublet and then you have your aperture in between so it's a similar concept but it it does more to Remove chromatic aberrations and distortion, mm-hmm. and and just give you a higher quality image, um, and kind of the highest quality image we felt we could achieve within the the remit of the design. And and being such a small camera, the design constraints are quite challenging. So Jason was always trying to push me for a bit more space, and I was trying to push back. Saying,
0: <laughs> <"Well."> <laughs> It is i mean from from our various conversations o- over the last few weeks it it is it's a bit eye opening for me because you know clearly you know the the world of of complex three d product design. Yeah, you know, is apart from just being an absolute minefield of compromise, right? Is that there's a, there's a lot of optimization to do, lot of lot of things to figure out, and everything seems to have a, a consequential impact. It must be incredibly difficult to keep track of it all.
2: Um, it, I think it is, but it's kind of it's what I love about um, product design and engineering. You're right every every design you look at is a collection of compromises mm. and and it's how those compromises are managed and which ones are decided to be featured and excelled and not unless of a compromise and which things actually end up being genuine compromises that really make up the character of a product so um and and i I love that interplay and and the 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 greater the complexity the more exciting I find the challenge to be from my geek perspective, that's <laughs> that's what I actually really enjoy. To a point, you know, if it just gets so complex that it's causing me to lose sleep, then I've, I've you know, probably gone a bit too far. <laughs>
0: So what our listeners can't see, of course, because this is audio only, is that, But we can see on our video call here is that you're sat in what looks to be a rather impressive workshop. What have you got all like laid out behind you there? It looks like there's loads of good kit.
2: Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. So the 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 jewel in the crown is this side, this set, uh You probably because it's mirrored. It's called Roland. So lots of things. I'm trying to give machines names. It's not mirrored for us,
0: so it's okay. I could see that it's called Roland, yeah.
2: Some of them came in names. So Roland, everyone, people, it's the same Roland that make uh, um, music keyboard. Oh,
0: yeah, I know.
2: They also make machines for manufacturing. And this Mm -hmm. is a benchtop CNC machine. Mm. So it's not not something I can do uh, volume production on, but it allows me to prototype all the machined components in the titch get the design just right so that then when I generate my drawings and move uh, and start talking with manufacturers I know what I need out of that component or set of components so that's what that one does and then the the orange box is sort of on mm-hmm. the bench behind me yeah uh, this one the dark orange one that's the 3D printer um, mm-hmm. and that's really cool it's a, a liquid 3D printer so you put resin in it And and that platform, you can just see there, drops down into the resin. And then there's a a UV light behind an LCD display. And that UV light cures a a really thin layer of resin. And the LCD display blocks the light so that it only cures in certain places. And then it it lifts up. (laughs) And that peels that tiny layer off with that plate. And then drops back down and does the whole process again, and it keeps doing that for a few hours until it has gradually built, layer by layer, mm. a component that you want to um, that that I want to see whether I've got the design right on
0: really that's that's, so that's goes, astonishing that is so so just just by way of reference uh my wife does arts and crafts and she has resin and she cures it yeah you know, she, she <laughs> makes arts and uh, art and crafts things uh for people and she has resin that she uses to to cover those things and, and cures mm-hmm. them under uv and stuff like that but that's that's very much a uh a hands-on sort of you know craft mechanism to that, the sort of precision you're talking about must be astonishingly
2: yeah, it, it builds in layers of 0.05 millimeters at a time. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's a really powerful tool when when I just need to, you know, a, a good example is the um, the little fold-down sport finder that we designed as a stretch goal. Um, and to prototype that on the printer, it, it was just the right tool for the job. You know, I could design it in CAD, which took me sort of for that three simple components about, four hours to design, and then I could print it in an hour and a half and see mm. whether the bits fitted together, what I needed to, to tweak to get the design right.
0: <laughs> so not your <laughs> average garage then?
2: No, but you say that, but this the, the, this technology, when I started doing um, industrial design straight out of university, it was really uh, early days for this technology and um, and people would order 3D prototypes that were literally cut layers of plastic, laser cut layers of plastic that were put together in sort of half millimetre layers. And they thought that was amazing. Now for, you know, this, this machine is 300 pounds. For 300 pounds, you can build to a tenth of that layer size in a few hours in your shed if you want to, which, you know, it's it just phenomenal that that technology has come on in in what the last 20
0: years to that point mm. do you know uh, it, it's interesting uh, the uh, the the cnc machine i remember my first one of my first ever jobs not quite my first ever job when i was a trainee accountant in the 1990s i worked for a, a company that um that had did two things actually um one is it had a cad cam software company which in those days they were just migrating from sun workstations to windows nt and the sales guys used to carry around these enormous crt monitors in the boots of big estate cars they had to have a state car so they could r- drive around the country demoing this software to customers and then down the road they had a factory that manufactured turn parts um and that was all cnc controlled um, which was quite a new thing in those days uh, well newish um, and, and yeah you know, that again was something that was you know very much you know in, in the realms of of heavy industry not something that you'd be able to have at home and yet here you are with a, 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 a what did you call it a tabletop cnc machine yeah
2: table benchtop cnc and you can you know this one's uh, was in its day quite expensive um, i managed to acquire it secondhand for a nice price but you can buy again for a few hundreds of pounds rather than the tens of thousands they used to cost something that you can put in your garage and do reasonable quality work you know if you want to if you're really passionate about building your own cameras and you want to step step your game up from uh you know wood and uh, uh and boring bits off uh mm. other cameras then you know why not go for it and, and try your hand at some of these these they call it maker um kind of technologies that are around and they're just i wouldn't this is not the right type of 3d printer for light type things it, and yeah you know, i specifically didn't buy that type of printer because i i do not want to be making the camera bodies myself but it allows me to get the engineering
0: right yeah yes astonishing uh absolutely astonishing okay all right so so there's a bit of geeky engineering stuff you you, you neglected to mention of course that along with the couple a quid you need 20 years of experience and, and loads of formal <laughs> training but that you know we we'll just like brush that under the carpet yeah <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, b- brilliant. So, so when we went out then a couple of Saturdays ago, mm. and we were doing beta testing. So the cameras that we were using are made by you in your workshop. And just so listeners understand, because not everybody will have will have seen yeah, the the descriptions <laughs> or certainly had the chance to hold one. The, these are machined from aluminium uh, with some printed parts.
2: Yeah. So the the cameras that we were beta testing with, they're assembled by me in the workshop there aren't many of the components in there that i make in the workshop most of so the cnc machining on those uh, beta units is done in germany the oh, okay. 3d printing on there the main bodies is done by a, a company in london i've been using for a number of years now mm-hmm. um and and the i i did i will say i did hand solder every uh, component on those circuit boards <laughs> So, so that that bit was very much handmade, uh, and until until you're in the space of making at least a hundred, you typically are in that
1: yeah.
2: hand soldering realms for for mm. getting the design right.
1: When you beat tested, a hey, did you shoot with all of the lenses, the different lenses? Did you well, try all the different lenses? Or? So
0: I tried the ones that were available because they're beta units. So they're, they uh, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong here, but we didn't have the glass lens, we had the plastic lens and right. the pinhole the single pinhole but not the pinhole yeah. sieve so i did try two of the available or what mm-hmm. will be the available lenses um it was it's it, very easy to do so uh yeah the, the wheel on the front that holds all four lenses you just click the one you want into place and then uh on uh, there's a, a button on the back that you press that uh that changes the electronics to uh to register for the right aperture okay. and so calculate the right exposure mm-hmm. so for, for the timing of the shutter so you yeah, to turn the wheel on the front to pinhole press the button on the back till it said f 125 because that's the aperture of the pinhole, and then it would calculate the exposure for you. It would say, Okay, this is going to be a three second exposure, or, or, or whatever. Wow. Um, and all of that, you know, all of that very nicely automated. Um, we did some checking that day with, um, you know, I, I have a light meter app on my phone, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. It, pretty spot on actually um uh, the the uh, you know it, it's certainly in the shade so i think it's there's a the way that the, the meter is designed is that it's placed in in the front of the body of the camera so a bit like mm. it's not through the lens metering so you have to just be mindful about what's shining yeah you know, what's the light is that's shining on the meter um but uh you know it, allowing for that it was um it was pretty much spot on um, and very very easy to use <laughs> I, I don't think say, I broke it once, actually.
1: It's to use. It's really oh, yeah.
0: cute. Do you know what? It was so much fun, right? And so the thing that I felt almost instantly was an enormous sense of freedom. So because, yeah, and, and talking about, you know, economic situation and what have you and, and how it is expensive to shoot film more than it has been in mm. the past at the moment and um, to be able to pick up a camera like that and just go hey i'm just gonna shoot whatever i like whenever i like because it's half frame it's 72 shots on a single roll of 35 mil film and mm-hmm. it it really gave me a, a, a an enormous sense of freedom um uh, which was very enjoyable in itself right because you can do things like oh uh, we, you know I, i've got a scene over there i think i'm going to do a david hockney collage type shot it's going to need eight frames um but I don't care about the fact that it's eight frames because I can get 72 frames out of this one <laughs> roll of film and yeah. you know and it's all just um it it's all just really really nice and I think do you know that among uh, possibly above all is is for me the one of the best examples of this engineering pragmatism and compromise versus mm-hmm. versus the customer the customer the user experience um uh, because it was a great user experience. And some people will say, oh, why half frame? And and uh, yeah, Dave will tell us the reasons in a minute. But it it, it actually was a really empowering user experience mm-hmm. to have a half frame camera, and especially as small mm-hmm. and quiet it is. But Dave, tell us a little bit about that, yeah. sort of, yeah, why it's half frame, what were the engineering considerations there and things like that?
2: Yeah, so it all, it all stemmed from shutter choice. Um, and... I think I maybe covered this with Graham in the previous uh, discussion we had about the camera, but when when you start looking at what shutters you can reasonably get, and and bear in mind, we need a, to do a optical lens. You need a shutter that's capable of at least one hundred twenty fifth of a second, preferably faster. And we're getting two hundred fiftieth out of the shutter we've we've honed in on at the moment. Um, you're you're really limited, and you're kind of because I can't go out there and ask Nidek Copal to. Design me a shutter because I can't meet their minimum order requirements of a hundred thousand a year. Um, you're you're left looking at uh, a combination of people's spare parts, uh, you know, discontinued cameras. That maybe there's a a few thousand of that shutter still available, mm. or um, or more specifically, there's a there's a particular type of shutter used in infrared digital cameras. So that's the sort of security cameras that um that can achieve the sorts of speeds you're after, but because they're security cameras, they're not designed for big sensors. So you're, you're at this compromise on shutter size and that, that kind of forces you down this route. And, and Adrian and I were having a discussion. I, I kind of approached it from what can I do with what's available and what is achieve, what's the, the best compromise, set of compromises I can achieve on a camera and and so half frame was was pretty much the first compromise
0: you had to make. Mm. Yeah, I doubt it, it doesn't. I have to say it doesn't feel like a compromise. It's one of those things that you could just say it's a feature, right? We wanted it that way on purpose because I think it it's a really strong one.
2: Yeah, well, when I originally want uh, started looking at a half frame camera development, the the film crisis let's call it, it wasn't yeah. in the full swing you know this difficulty of finding color film at anything approaching a reasonable price just just wasn't happening um and it's almost a happy coincidence that right at the point i'm launching the cost of getting a a 35 millimeter color mm-hmm. roll of film has got kind of a bit crazy
1: yeah um, that's that
2: I, could, I could sort of market it around that as well mm. and um so we were we had my son as one of the beta testers and I put a roll of film in his camera that I'd re- reclaimed from a disposable camera. So because I knew I was going to be doing all this beta testing, I'd been buying up film to make sure I had some stock. And, um, and the only way I could get color film at one point was buying a disposable camera and uh, exposing it with uh, with tape over the lens to, mm. to get through the film, because disposables are, the film is all unwound if you ever want to take one apart. Don't do it until you've wound it all the yeah. way on, <laughs> um, and uh, and I so I reclaimed that film and it was a thirty nine exposure. It was uh, something Kodak had just added extra to the role to make their disposable a bit more appealing. And Alfie got um, he got eighty five shots out of that film.
1: Eighty five shots! Wow, <laughs> I couldn't
2: believe it. I said, "When are going to stop?"
1: Yeah, but you know, I'm just looking at the your sample images, and um, they look really good. I can see is it the rottweiler <laughs> i like yeah. that one and um what's the building like the dome oh, building good.
2: uh let it's me like have, the... I've got to now look and see what we. yeah
1: but you know the rottweiler there's a couple of double exposures there there's a um fairground rides there's there's the one of the pit they look really good i wouldn't yeah. necessarily know some of them were half frame actually
2: i think um so some of them, are, I specifically wanted to get some sample shots on quite low ISO film. So I think there's yeah. a few on 100 ISO, color, uh, 100 ISO black and white.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and they it does add to the sharpness of the image. I also, it kind of a, a lot depends on who's scanning it for you as well.
1: I was going to say, they look to me, just from here, I'm just looking if I use the Rottweiler as an example, <laughs> that if you scanned your film up... At high resolution, you could probably get a really you could probably blow up that quite big.
2: Um, that, so that one. I did do a little bit of post sharpening on it. Um, mainly because I think that was developed by Snappy Snaps, who are actually in the okay. very background in that shot, the yellow
1: shot. <laughs> okay, <laughs>
2: and um, and the Snappy Snaps do they do a great job of turning around film fast, but because they scan in pairs, um, they're kind of averaging the exposure. Whereas a, um, a lab like Analog Wonderland, yeah. they will they will process kind of each image separately and, yeah. and they get yeah. the exposure spot on for each image. So I would, for that particular one, I think you could blow it up a bit, but probably not as much as um, a good example is the, the building is the Radcliffe camera in Oxford. Okay. That one would probably blow up really well, I reckon. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think probably, the, is it that I don't know where you are? Some pier.
2: Oh, so that's Bembridge Pier. Yeah, yeah, that that's looks quite like a it, good, that was on 100, 100 ISO Kent It
1: looks like it blow up. So you could, so so it, not only is it cost effective in terms of film and like you say, your choice of lenses, it looks like the the images like the example images look really good. So potentially you could you could do a, a project. You could do a really good project, like you say. More cost-effective and, and and you know not yeah, really, not I've, have any loss when you if you wanted to kind of if you had an exhibition and you wanted to blur up your images to a certain size.
2: Yeah, I think one yeah. of the things I really wanted with the camera was to create something that would appeal to creatives who really wanted a tool that could yeah do something a little bit different. I mm. think I, I think I hope I've achieved that and um and I think that for me it really encourages me because of that freedom of having. You know, the seventy-two plus images. Yeah. It really encourages me to just not worry so much and play around with the photography. I yeah. find myself when I'm on 36 frames getting all a bit um precious about the each shot. And um and it's so nice not to have that worry. Yeah, I think it's, it's great definitely
0: when a... you compare it to yeah other things, like it was Holger Week as well. And so you're getting 12 shots a roll out of a Holger. Yeah. Or when mm. I use my Chroma camera and I get six shots a roll out of that. <laughs> like <laughs> well not that not that it's good play I think but it's it's great to have something where you don't have that concern and and you can just you know snap snap away nice nice and happily but yeah. as Claire says yeah I I'm, I'm expecting good things for that glass lens as well I think mm. yeah. yeah
2: I am too I think I'm um, you know I've just uh uh just now the exchange rate got a bit more favorable I've been able to order the samples from Jason so they should be coming in uh, hopefully next month, mm. we'll, we'll see exactly what it can do. But um, I know that um, there are some other people in the analog community. Uh, one, one in particular, I won't name specifically, who's working with one of Jason's designs at the moment, and the quality from that is phenomenal. Uh, and I think the the design has a lot of similarities to to what yeah. Jason's done with uh, with our mm. design, the Alfie Titch. Cool.
1: Does it have a self timer on it?
2: It does. So that's one of the things we were kind of uh, getting some beta feedback on. So at mm-hmm. the moment, you kind of, uh, the, the button on the back is like a three way dial. You push it in the center to select different things and you joggle it left and right to adjust. And mm-hmm. so you can press and hold to go into a settings mode. And then there is a delay mode in there. And at the moment, I've just programmed it up so you can select between one and five seconds. But I think. Okay. Between the beta testers and um, some of the online feedback I had during the Kickstarter, I think we're going to extend that up to sort of nine or ten seconds, mm. um, and maybe give it a bit more, give you a bit more feedback that um that it's taking a shot as well because the camera kind of goes if you're doing a really long exposure. Yeah. At the moment, there's no indication apart from if you heard the shutter open and it's quite quiet.
1: But yeah. It's
2: doing that exposure so. So I think we can we can give that feedback to the user. Um I, I have a sort of spinning wheel or something on the screen that will give you an indication I'm in the middle of doing a shot. I'm not done yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is it is because the shutter mechanism is so kind. I mean that's great for you know street photography and stuff like that, because it's very discreet, tiny camera, very discreet because it doesn't make any noise either. Uh, but yeah when you're using the pinhole and you're measuring your exposure in seconds and you you're thinking is it open is, is it still open can I move it yet? is it closed you've got to really listen carefully but this is that was what I would, one of the things that you know the beta testing was for right so I was quite yeah. impressed with the, the you know the, we definitely at least well I was uh, but you definitely weren't just on a jolly Saturday afternoon stroll with your new camera were you you were working hard that day trying to understand the impact on the users and of and, uh, various different things. I remember you took lots and lots of notes.
2: Yeah, it was incredibly useful for me. And um, and I think I was even doing one one of the units I'd obviously uh, put together too late at night because I was having to do running repairs and it, it was <laughs> just one unit that had a few <laughs> issues I had to fix. So, um, but but at the same time, everything I fix now generally results in a design tweak, a design change that improves the quality and robustness and then becomes something that I'm really keen to make sure is not uh, an issue on the production units. So I think every problem we find now is uh, really valuable to me.
0: Yeah. So as, as you said, all your wise and wonderful friends from Kickstarter has gone by and now saying, well, now's when the real hard work starts. So so what what do the next few months look like for you? What, what, what are you looking forward to? What do you think will be challenging?
2: So I think um, the first, the first piece is really securing the components I need that are uh, awkward. So, what, but by awkward I mean it, it's things like the shutter. So it's placing that order that gets me the right number of shutters for what the volume I think the camera might achieve ultimately over the next mm-hmm. few years. Um, and that's that's working with Chinese suppliers. So there's the language barrier, and the, then the bank side of things so a lot of it is about running a business almost i've got to set up and and get those things in place uh so that i've got you know what was i i was in the bank for an hour and a half today just trying to make a payment to the us (laughs) you wouldn't think that but there we go um so there's things like that that are actually more challenging than the technical side of it so getting those refinements in design, right. That's what I've done for the last 25 years of my mm. career. So that's that's almost the easy part for me. Um, so I'm incredibly excited to get um, the the new lens in. Um, so that would be fantastic. I'm also excited. I am um, looking at two uh, improved shutters. So we have a shutter mm. in the camera which I can is readily available and will do the job, but I'm trying to get uh, an improvement on that shutter that may, may get us a, a slightly faster shutter speed, which I'd love to have. So I'm holding off placing that order on shutters until I've evaluated the new prototype, uh, the new samples that are coming from China, <clears throat> and then it's really about engineering in those uh, little tweaks and ironing out the little issues. So that I can place the volume orders with confidence on on circuit boards and uh, components that are critical to getting the camera functioning well.
0: Sounds like a, a lot of work, um, and of course we wish you well with it. And uh, you know, especially, especially me because I've backed it, so de- I definitely wish you well. Uh, that. But but uh, listen, uh, yeah, as I said uh, at the start of this conversation, unfortunately we're a little bit tight on time today, so we probably need to wrap it up there. Um, and uh, when we can all go and and watch Claire's artwork on the telly Um, (laughs) so that that should be really cool but um, Dave, thank you ever so much for coming to talk to us Um, You're welcome Good good luck with the rest of the project um, now that you've finally started as it were and uh yeah it'd be great if you could, could keep in touch and uh, and let us know how it's going um and uh it'd be it'd be good to uh, be really interested to, to, to track this and follow it i think this could be a really important product for, for the film photography market definitely
2: Thank you very much. It's lovely to chat to you guys, and I'm li- now I'm keen to watch the
0: Mercury Awards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, on that note, folks, uh, yeah, this has been a an edition, a, a somewhat slightly shorter edition than, than last week of the Sunny Sixteen podcast. <laughs> uh, we will play you out now with Rachel's band Rocker, pro- uh, their album Promises I Should Have Kept, which you can get at all good places on the internet. Uh, and we will be back next week, so see you then. Take care. Bye bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.